Well, good evening, my saints and my friends. My wonderful Bible Study Live crew, it is such a wonderful thing to have you in the building and online. Let us go ahead and let us bow our heads and pray, and then we will get into the Word of God for this evening. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, praise you, love you, honor you, appreciate you, thanking you for all that you are and all that you mean to us. God, we pray that you would illuminate this study, that you would cause us to get something out of it, to gain some information, information, knowledge, but also revelation in such a way that we can provide application to it and apply it to our lives. Now, God, we ask that you will look on the special request we have before you, God, specifically in the loss of one of our dear members. God, we ask that you would uh, bless the family Bless Deliverance Temple as we prepare to uh, to lay someone to rest in the near future. And we do give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So before I get started, I will say that we lost our dear brother Alan Turner today. He passed away today. Uh, if you remember or even heard uh, our apostles' stories, him and Alan grew up together. They were only two days apart. And uh, now they they pass very, very close to each other, really within days of each other, a year and days. So uh, we're praying for Sister Darlene, who also lost a granddaughter and now her significant other. So we she desires our prayers and needs our prayers. And of course, we uh, we need prayers as well because he meant a lot to us. But we do know he's home in glory. So that does give us some comfort. Well, we're going to uh, move forward into our study. So we've been in a heart series, and we will just briefly cover the lessons that we've talked about thus far. First one is, is was a generous heart, and the idea of a generous heart, there was one word uh, that really stuck out to me, and it was the word magnanimous, which really means generous in the way we forgive, especially people who... Uh, we don't necessarily need. So how do we show mercy and love to others? So it talked about really receiving the mercy and love of God and then sharing that to others and really talking about generosity from the standpoint of not giving monetarily, but giving from your heart, the goodness of your heart, which eventually will affect your monetary giving as well. So then we went from there and we uh, talked about heart condition. And heart condition was we talked about the four four different types of conditions in the heart that we wanted to look at, and we we're uh, comparing it to real heart conditions that people have in their in their hearts, and how heart disease affects. And we don't want to have spiritual heart disease, so we talked about the worst one. We went from the worst to the actually the uh, best, and the worst was a wayward heart. And uh, we talked about a wayward heart, which really meant a rebellious heart. And so after we left uh, the wayward heart and the rebellious heart, we went from there to, oh, to a waning heart, which was different from the rebellious heart. A waning heart was a heart that is not wayward yet, but if it left alone, it would go in that direction. And that we talked about uh, losing our first love and that. 
And then we talked about a returning heart, which is a good to have as a heart that if you see that you're slipping away, that you begin to return back to your first love, return back to God. And that left us to the final, most important one, which is a repentant heart. So if our heart stays repentant, then we will never get into the wayward heart. And then also, once we understand that as we needed to repent and God has forgiven us, then our heart becomes generous because we give that same uh, forgiveness to others. So that led, led us to the last one, which was last week, which was a holy heart, a holy heart. And so we worked from, from the framework of a holy heart. So so many of the, the, the sermons have similar themes of having the proper heart, the proper heart posture, what it means so that we could be the, the type of uh, people God wants us to be, but also we can be what we need to be to other people as well. So we need to dig into what it means to have a holy heart. So, of course, with many of these lessons and the way I've been teaching and preaching lately, definitions are very important. What words mean are very important. So let's look at this the definition. Holy, dedicated, or consecrated to God or a religious purpose. So uh, three things, dedicated, consecrated, actually two things, dedicated, consecrated to God or to a religious purpose. Then sacred, so that brings in the third thing. Then devoted brings in the fourth thing, to the service of God. So we have dedicated or consecrated to God or a religious purpose, sacred, devoted to the service of God, and then added is morally and spiritually excellent. And what I found quite interesting is all the first definitions, they all seem to have the same theme. And then morally and spiritually excellent seem to be quite different from the other. Because we're talking about dedicated, consecrated, uh, sacred, devoted to God or a religious purpose. And then it says morally spiritually excellent, which seems to be quite a bit different than the first. So I thought I'd come back to that later. So I thought I'd also look at what it means to be unholy. So unholy was this this sinful or wicked. So once again, I'm not making up these definitions. I'm getting them from uh, a dictionary. And it's Interesting to me as I begin to look at words. To me, etymology of words is very important. Etymology is a study of words, but words over time, they morph, they shape, they take different forms, especially in history. Sometimes when you look at the etymology of a word, you see it meant one thing in one time. It means something in another time. And some dictionaries will tell you when it first was introduced, like it may have been a word that came about in the 1800s, 1500s, or even further, further back. So all those things are important. And it was interesting to me that when you got to the definition of unholy, it was very just short and sweet. It was cut and dry, so to speak. But it was also a departure from the dedicated. And so I want to go back to that for a second. So when you look at that holy, that dedicated, consecrated. So unholy would seem to mean undedicated or unconsecrated, or undevoted, or no longer sacred. But that's not what 
unholy pointed out to unholy only seem to be the adverse of the last part of the definition, morally and spiritually excellent. It seemed like unholy in that definition, that particular dictionary only focused on the morally and spiritually excellent. And so when you look at unholy, it just said sinful or wicked. So it got me to thinking about a few things. So I wanted to go to this word, righteous, because righteous means morally right or justifiable, virtuous. And then unrighteous was not righteous or wicked. So I begin to formulate something in my mind and begin to understand something. And what I begin to realize is that many people mix up the word holy with the word righteous as if they're one in the same. And in a lot of settings, they're one in the same, but scripturally, which is what we have to go off of because this is Bible study. But in the Bible, they're not one in the same. They're not synonymous. They're not the same word. They are actually different. But when you look at the definition of holy, they set off one part all the way to the side and they only focus on the morally and the spiritually excellent in most churches. And so but when you look at the word righteous, look at it again, it says, uh, for, well, unrighteous is not righteous or wicked, but righteous begins to deal with morally right or uh, justifiable or virtuous. So the question that I have for is that holy or is that righteous or is there something different about it or, 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 or what does that mean for us? Where does that leave us in the study of these type of words? So in order to look at that, I wanted to look at this chapter, Romans 5, 13 through 19. Romans 5 is known as the uh, justification uh, chapter. It is really where the well, justification by faith. It's really where Paul begins to tie in how important faith is to justification. Some people say justification is just as if I've never sinned. It actually takes us beyond the do's and don'ts and takes us into the fact that God, through our faith in him, begins to give us the things that we want to accomplish as far as the do's and don'ts or as far as righteousness is concerned, that righteousness ends up coming to us justifiably or it comes to us as a gift through our faith. So if we get moral excellence and spiritual excellence as a gift through righteousness, then what does that leave us with holiness? So we'll, we'll get back into that. So let's go to verses. Let's look at Romans 5, 12. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. So, uh, of, of course, I'm going into the middle of the chapter, but there is something that we know called the law of sin and death, that the wages of sin equal death. So that sin and death actually come hand in hand. It almost comes like salt and pepper. They come together. It's a package deal. Wherever sin is, there is death. So looking at it again, it says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. That was the interest of sin. It entered the world. Adam's sin also brought death. On the heels of sin comes death. So death spread to everyone 
for everyone's sin. So that was without uh, you asking for it, without anyone asking for it. Death and sin came together in a package deal based on one man's mistake. All right, let's look at verse 13. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Very interesting statement that Paul was making is that sin was already there. So when Adam sinned, wasn't the first time sin was there. Sin was actually in the system. It wasn't in the system originally because God created the heaven and the earth. So when he did it, he did it perfect. But then the next verse says the, the earth was without form or void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. It was chaos. We understand where that chaos came when Satan was kicked out of heaven into the earth. He uh, brought all his junk with him, caused chaos on the earth. He actually brought sin into the atmosphere. The first sin was the sin of pride where he was, where he thought he could take over God, him and his cohort, and they get kicked out of heaven. They land in earth, but sin was there. But the scripture says sin wasn't charged to anyone because there was no law. In other words, people were ignorant to sin's operation in the earth. Let's look at that again. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. All right, so let's look at verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking the command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. So there were other people who were in the earth and they didn't break any commands because there wasn't any commands given. But still sin was around and the result of sin, which is death, it actually reigned. So death is still ruling. People died. People had the experiences of death. There was violence and all these things were going on. But there was no law saying you shouldn't kill but people still killed and people still got the result of killing. There was no law that said you shouldn't commit adultery, yet people still did it. So sin was in the world and it was causing things to happen, specifically death. But what, um, what Paul was pointing out is that there was no commands, but yet the law of sin and death was still working. It was still in operation. All right, so that leads us to verse 15. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, which is what we're talking about. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. So the world before Moses, before the law, before anyone wrote down, you can't do this or you can't do this, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. Death was operating based on one man's mistake. Sin and death reigned in rule. But Paul is pointing out that there came something totally different when Jesus entered into the world. He brought forgiveness. He brought grace. He brought a gift that was wonderful that counteracted the gift of sin and death, which was a bad gift that came because of one man's mistake. 
All right. Verse 16. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one's man's sin of that one man's sin for Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. So Paul is saying that when Jesus shows up, his just his showing up and his gift, his life, it brought something totally different, way much better than what Adam did when Adam showed up. And then Adam made that one mistake. It just opened up, as we call it, Pandora's box. It opened up the floodgates of sin and death. And from that point on, the world began to spin out of control. And history proves that there were all kinds of things happening. And, and even before Moses, even before there was a law, all kinds of things happened. But when Jesus shows up, then there becomes a slow reversal of everything. Uh, to give you a perfect example of that, so just in Florida, they had the hurricane and then there was a whole lot of flooding. But if you if you take a, a place and you flood it and you have a drain that's open, you won't, let, let's say the drain is closed at first and so everything is flooded and it's just piled up. Let's say it's up to your neck. If you open that drain it will slowly begin to make that flood dissipate. It won't happen overnight. It won't happen, it depends on, or right away, depending on how big the drain is, because normally there's too much water for the drain. But over time, that thing will begin to go back in the opposite direction, because just because of simple gravity. Well, Jesus did the same thing when he came and he showed up and he lived a life of holiness and righteousness and he died. He began to reverse the law of sin and death. And he began to basically pull the plug and things begin to slowly go away. It's hard to see it because it doesn't happen really quick. But Paul is letting us know that gift of righteousness reverses things. All right. Verse 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful gift and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So going back to the example of the drain, for everyone who would allow God to pull the plug on the drain in your life or who would allow Jesus to, you're going to begin to see the reversal of the previous patterns. It may not be as quick as you would desire, but it's going to happen. But it's something that you have to receive. You have to open up yourself to it. It's very different from what Adam and Eve did. It's totally different what Jesus did. All right. So verse 18. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. So it brings the possibility of a right relationship with God, which is what righteousness is. It's right standing with God. It opens you up to the possibility. And it's it's amazing, but if we're honest, it's at least fair because what Adam did, we had nothing to do with what Adam did, and it caused a domino effect that affected all of us, which is actually unfair. I didn't have anything to do with what Adam did, but it caused me to what the scripture says to be born in sin. 
shaped in iniquity. We are also the imago Dei, which means the image of God. We are made in the image of God, and that's amazing. But because of sin and sin's rule and the law of sin and death, we are susceptible to sinning. We are susceptible to no longer being morally and spiritually excellent. And if we're honest, that's not really fair. I didn't have anything to do with that. When I was born, I was born selfish. I was born with a propensity to lust, to hate, to have anger. So God says, I understand that wasn't fair. So I sent my son in the likeness of sin, and he condemned sin in the flesh, and he opens up a whole new life for you, but you do have to receive it. You do have to accept it. All right, moving right along. Verse 19, because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. This is the gospel message that when Jesus obeyed God and when Jesus said yes to God, he reverses the situation. I call it he hit the reset button. When you have a virus on your computer and everything starts slowing down, you can hit uh, control alt delete or you can restart the computer and what it'll do it'll restart it back and you can pick up where you left off but that doesn't mean you can't get a virus again it doesn't mean that the computer won't get slow again but every time it does you have a, the ability to restart it and start over that's why we celebrate the gospel message because we always get a fresh start we always get a clean start if we would receive it if we would say yes to it, if we would allow it. And so the idea of having a holy heart only because you always do the holy thing doesn't really make a lot of sense because what the scripture says is that we get righteousness as a free gift. What we do, we receive righteousness. And then what we do, we apply that to our heart to keep us in the pattern of holy. And so now let's go backwards and look at this definition, dedicated or consecrated to God or a religious purpose, sacred, devoted to the service of God. Then I have struck out morally and spiritually excellent. So the reason why I have that struck out is because if we receive the free gift of righteousness, that deals with the moral and the spiritual excellence, because as human beings, we cannot be morally and spiritually excellent in the sense that we can't do it perfectly. We can get there and achieve there in some area, but in some areas we'll drop the ball. And I'm not always talking about dropping the ball in what we do, but I mean dropping the ball in what we think. Because many of us can actually do the right thing, but we don't always think the right thing. The simple fact that we are even tempted means that we are less than. But God is not asking us to think everything perfect. He's not asking us to do everything perfect. But what he is asking us to do is receive his gift of righteousness. And then when we receive that gift to actually consecrate our heart dedicate our heart, set, set aside our heart, set apart our heart, allow our heart to be sacred and say, God, I'm actually going to 
set aside time to be with you, to be in your presence, to be in your word, to learn from you so that I consistently stay in the posture to receive your gift of righteousness because I need your righteousness to overcome my propensity to sin, my willingness to sin, my even appetite to do the wrong thing. So what I'm going to do, I'm not going to try to be right, do right, and get everything right. I'm going to try to set aside time to be with you. And I'm going to let you and your gift of righteousness, I'm going to let it make me right. I'm going to let it mold me. I'm going to let it cleanse me. I'm going to let it wash me. In other words, instead of trusting in me to be right, I'm going to trust in what your son has already done that was right. And I'm going to set apart myself and consecrate myself to hook up with you on a consistent, continual basis and allow that righteousness to make my heart holy. That is the idea. And the reason why I say that is because if you try to become holy on your own, you're going to let yourself down. And when you let yourself down, you're going to get frustrated. And then once you get frustrated, the devil's going to jump on top of that frustration and tell you, you don't have anything. You might as well give up. You might as well turn around and go back to what you were doing. You might as well give up. You'll never be right. Just give up. That's the trick of the enemy. So what we say is, yes, I know there's some things about me that's not perfect. But instead of me crying and complaining about it, I'm going to receive the free gift of righteousness. I'm going to apply that to my heart. And then I'm going to take my raggedy heart and God's righteousness. And I'm going to go consecrate it to you. I'm going to say, God, hey, I know I didn't get it right, but I'm coming back to church. And I'm going to come to church. And while I'm in church, like we talked about, I'm going to have a returning and repentant heart. And if the, if the pastor says something that pricks me to my heart, I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to have attitude. I'm just going to say, yes, okay, God, that, that's me. Just, just help me. But what I'm not going to do, I'm not going to quit. I'm coming back. Well, I, I go back and then maybe, maybe uh, I don't do anything necessarily wrong, but I want to. Like everybody I see, I want to choke them. I just want to choke them out. Man. I just, I'm just irritated. I'm mad. Now, of course, I didn't do it. I didn't follow through with it. But inside, I know, man, what's wrong with me? Why am I so irritated? Why am I so agitated? So what I do, I don't get mad at myself and beat myself up and say, oh, you're never going to be right. I just come back to church, open my heart back up again. That's what it means to have a holy heart. You're setting it apart. You're dedicating it to God. And no matter how dirty you feel like you are, you keep coming back to the drawing board. You keep, And it's not just church. It's whatever spiritual discipline that you feel like will help you. You just keep opening yourself up to it. There's times I've read the Bible when I was not in Bible reading mode. My mind is not really in it. My heart's not in it, but I force myself to do it because I feel like I'm getting something that's going to help me in the long run. That's what I, that's sacred. That's dedication. And so in this life, it's not about what you do right. It's about how determined you are to keep coming back, keep getting up, keep presenting your body as a living sacrifice. Keep bringing yourself to the posture and the position and say, hey, God, you are perfect. I am less than perfect. I'm allowing you to come into me and make me what I need to be. And then when the devil gets in my ears and try to talk, 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 I come right back to that same thing. God, you are perfect. I'm imperfect, but I'm coming to you and yielding myself to you for you to come into me and make me what I need to be. 
and we stay in that pattern. And when we get some success, we don't get the big head. We take that success and we try to reach others and help them in their low places. And that's how we put together uh, a journey of growth where we begin to go from faith to faith and glory to glory. So let's look at point one. As a New Testament, holiness is not N-O-T, not capitalized, not about being morally right because that is an ongoing gift we receive. However, it is about using this righteousness to reign in life instead of succumbing to life. So what I'm not saying is that it's not important for us to be morally right. That's not what I'm saying, but that's not our focus because we have his righteousness for that. So we don't, because if our focus is to be morally right, then what happens is when we achieve, achieve it, we'll give up. We'll be like, oh, I'm done. I'm good. I haven't cheated on my wife in a year. So, hey, great. I can go to a strip club and just hang out. No, just because you achieved it in one measure doesn't mean you're perfect. You still need to stay yielded. You still need whatever got you to this place. You need to try to do it again. You need to do it again. When you look at sports teams who win championships and then they go back to back, they'll tell you they'll party and celebrate the championship for the first couple weeks, maybe two, three weeks. But soon after that, they're right back getting ready, look, we got to do it, we got to do it again. Or or uh, Olympic medalists who win gold medals, they're in within a short amount of time, they're pr- planning for the next Olympics, which is another four years away. But that's how you stay on top, by being dedicated, consecrated. You don't relax, you, you dig deeper, you push more. And the great thing about God is there's always a higher level to go to. So even if you achieve a morally right or you achieve something, you always know I, there's more I can do. I, I can dig deeper. So you just go back after it. And so that's why we don't want to focus on being morally right, because if that becomes our goal, once we reach it in any area, we'll just quit. We always want to look at ourselves as I'm nothing. I'm nothing without God. So whatever I achieve, it means nothing because I'm never where I need to be as it relates to God. God is so much higher than me that there's no way that I'm ever going to be on that level. So I'm just going to keep pushing. 50 Cent, the rapper said, I'm going to get rich or die trying. In other words, I'm going to be holy or die trying. I'm going to stay in this thing always, always, always. It's almost like the, the, uh, the cat chasing its tail. You're never going to catch it but you keep chasing after it. And then what you do, you actually end up growing. And if we have that mindset, it will help us. But if, if we if we have the limited mindset set of just moral and spiritual excellence, then we're actually going to set ourselves up for failure. All right, so we want to reign in life. And then we look at this verse that we already covered, but we changed the, uh, the version. Uh, and we, we're going to read in the New International. It says, for if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ? So we receive the free gift of righteousness. We receive the person of Jesus, and he causes us to reign in life. So that even if we slip and fall, we know we got to get back to reigning in life. So going back to the sports uh, analogy, the sports team, 
they they go back and they work on becoming champions again. And many times they lose games along the way. But they don't let one loss stop them. They know what it takes to be a champion. So they get back. And then they what a lot of them will say is the coaches, they don't have to do a whole lot. Because once they lose, they are already upset with themselves. Listen, we we, we shouldn't have lost that game. We, we, we weren't focused. We took the opponent for granted. Let, hey, let's get back. The coach doesn't have to jump on them. And, and me as a pastor, I shouldn't have to jump on the members inside of themselves. Whenever they lose or whenever you have a loss, you say, no, I know I can do better than this because I know what it means to be a champion. And I'm trying to get back to the level. So that's what we're trying to do. And so that leads us to the real crux of the message, which is this point number two, New Testament holiness is uncommonness and New Testament unholiness is commonness. So the real idea of holiness is not moral and spiritual excellence. That's what righteousness is for. And in our case, that's a free gift that we receive. So the real thing of holiness is actually being uncommon versus being common. In other words, you're setting apart and dedicating and consecrating so that you can remain a cut above, not above other people. You're not trying to be better than other people. You're trying to be better than the you you were yesterday, who you were in 2016. You don't want to be in 2022. You want to have growth. And so to be common is to allow the new challenges of life to send you backwards to being the old person. We call that backsliding. We don't want to backslide. We want to go forward. We want to progress. We won't get everything right. And that's why we have the free gift of righteousness. That what that does, that blots out our transgressions so that we can get back to the point where we're always moving forward. So let's break out the definition or break down the definitions of these words, uncommon and common. Let's look at what the word uncommon means. It means out of the ordinary, unusual, and I really love this, remarkably great. Sometimes we forget that greatness is achievable for us because of who we worship, because of who we know, because of what we're learning Greatness is achievable to us, and we can be remarkably great. Now, uh, it's, it's, it's a little difficult because when you begin to look at how great God is and how low you are, it's easy to just think of yourself as a low person, at the scum of the earth. But that's not why we see God's greatness. We see God's greatness to see how great he is, how low we are, and then it dawns on us, hey, wait a second. He desires to live inside of me. The whole purpose of Christianity and belief is that we accept him into our heart. And of course, he's going to bring some of that greatness into our heart. So that means that there is greatness in there or there's holiness in our heart. We just have to develop to where we allow more of that holiness to come out or more of that greatness to come out. So what stops us from being great is what we have to start working on and fighting against. The problem is sometimes we fight against other people, but we shouldn't be fighting against other people. We should be fighting against what we find in our heart that keeps us from being remarkably great. 
What stops me from being the best version of myself? What stops me? What are the things that get in my way? And once I learn those things, I may not be able to fix all of them in a week, but maybe I can just work on one thing. Maybe it's my anger. Maybe it's my lack of patience. Maybe it's my sarcasm. Maybe I enjoy sarcasm, but I take it a little too far. Maybe it's my honesty. I'm just not as honest as I need to be. I'm not honest with myself. I lie to myself better than anyone else. See, nobody knows those things like we know them. And so when we find one of those things that we know is keeping us from being remarkably great, then what we do, we dedicate time to it. And we say, I'm going to try to work on that. First thing I do, I'm going to offer it to God. I'm going to be like, look, God, this is my issue. So here I am. Let's work on it. And then we, we put in the work to do that. And so that helps us. So let's look at something that causes us to not be remarkably great, which is when we are common. Let's look at that. Occurring, found, or done often, prevalent, shared by, coming from, or done by, more than one of relatively minor importance. So the point of that is, is when we act like everybody else, do what everyone else does, it takes us from being uncommon to common. It takes us from being remarkably great to just being average, mediocre. And when I say this, I'm not talking about the world or the sinners, quote unquote. I'm saying even in the church world, amongst Christians and believers, there's a whole lot of just average, mediocre Christianity. And we don't want to settle for that. We, we, we want to realize that we can be better than that. So you have a whole bunch of Christians that are just mean, nasty, unpleasant. And then you think, like, if I was a sinner, would I want to be around people like that? So instead of just judging all the people that are like that, all the Christians that are like that, you start with you. Am I unpleasant? Am I mean? Am I nasty? Before I worry about all these other people, let me see, is there something in me that's keeping me from being remarkably great? Now, if I belong to Deliverance Temple and it's our goal to love and it's our goal to live our vision every day and communicate Christ's love compassionately, then it means whenever I'm mean, nasty, or unpleasant, I'm really going against the vision. So that means I got to do the work to protect my heart so that my heart is more holy or more uncommon. I don't want to be the regular Christian because what that does, that means I am letting down the standard. So I'm going to push to go above that. Now let's get into the synonyms because that digs, it makes it even more plain, digs it even deeper. Uncommon synonyms, marked, remarkable, extraordinary, exceptional, outstanding, notable, noteworthy, distinctive, significant, special. Okay, let's, let's shoot for those things. Let's shoot to be remarkable or marked like people know, oh man, those are those are deliverance, those are DT people. They're, they're, there's something special about them. There's something extraordinary about them. They are exceptional. They're actually outstanding. They're notable. They're noteworthy. They're distinctive. They're significant. They're special. They're not perfect, but there's something special about them. When you interact with them, you feel different. They may not be the most churchy. They may not be the most religious, the most traditional. 
But when you are around them or if you have a trouble or if you've lost a loved one, when they show up, they show up in a different way. That's what I mean by us having a holy heart. Not that we do everything right, but there's something different about us because of the time we've set alone with God to allow God to shine through us. So what is the adverse of that? What is the opposite of that? And the opposite of that is common. So, or unholy. Common is ordinary, normal, typical, average, unexceptional. And one I love the most, run-of-the-mill, widespread, <coughs> popular, mainstream, <coughs> excuse me, uncouth, unsophisticated, vulgar. Now that is what unholiness is. It's when you become so common that you begin to just slip and you just lose a notch all the time. Now, I, I did it a lot Sunday just because I was into my prophetic mode, but I, I talked about a lot of churches in general. Didn't have any specific one in mind, but I was just bringing up churches in general. But let me say that, that we are living in an age where there is a lot of church going on and there's no anointing. There is actually no power. There's just a bunch of average stuff going on. And I talked about the shouting, the dancing. That is, it, I love shouting and dancing. That is anointed. But there's a lot of showy shouting and dancing. There's a lot of flesh going on. There's a lot of stuff, and it has become common. It's become the norm. And so if we fall in that pattern, not to say that we can't shout and dance, that's beautiful, but just doing it out of flesh and out of routine, that is totally against the type of ministry I'm trying to build. I would much rather us have a, a, a sacred, somber service where don't nobody get happy, but the presence of God was there. The power of God was there. When you leave, you felt different. You can't go in there and be like, ah, this is normal. We always do this. So-and-so always act like that. Well, so-and-so ran around the church. Oh, she do that every Sunday. No, we don't, we don't want that kind of ministry where you can just set your clock by people because people have got into a routine and it's just average, it's typical. No, it should be an excitement that I don't know what's going to happen when I come to church. I don't know how I'm going to be blessed, but I know I'm going to get something because we are not common. We are uncommon. God moves in uncommon ways, in unusual ways, but every time it's going to be blessed. The, the, the message may be high and fiery. Pastor may be on fire. Then pastor might just be talking and teaching. But when I leave, my heart feels enlarged. I feel like I've been fed. I feel like something's happened in me. I feel like that I can go and be a better version of myself than I was the week before. I feel excited. I feel uh, revived. That's what I mean by being uncommon, by being holy. That's what actually holy means. And when we look at in the Old Testament, the whole thing that God was trying to do when he finally began to work with a people group, the people of Israel, when he finally began to work with them, he set them apart and put them around nations and made them do things different. 
And the purpose of that was is so that when they would do things different, and this is especially when the law came, he said, I want you all to do it this way, this way, and this way. And it wasn't that he was just trying to bring rules over their head, but he wanted them to do it that way so he could guarantee they would get certain results. And what was supposed to happen is the surrounding nations were to look at Israel and say, we want what they have for them to cast down their idols, to throw away their stuff and say, we want to do what they are doing because what they are doing is uncommon and God fights for them and God is with them. So when they leave Egypt and they go into the wilderness, the rumor was around. These are a different people. God fights for them. Did you hear what he did to Pharaoh? Did you hear about the plagues? But they lost all of that because they immediately became common. Because when Moses went up on the mount to receive from God, they go and like, why are we in this wilderness? And they make a golden calf. Then they worship the golden calf and say, this is the one that brought us over the Red Sea. This is the one that got us out of Egypt. They immediately became common because that's what everybody else did. They worshiped gods of gold, gods of stone, gods of wood. And when you read all throughout the New Testament, I mean, the Old Testament, that was God's major complaint. He said, I wanted to be your God, but you traded me in for gods of wood and stone that wasn't gods. You traded me in for gods you had to build yourself. You became common. You became like everybody else. You mingled with their women and begin to worship their gods. You mingled with their men. You, you begin to take what I did and you begin to build altars to other gods. And what happened was, he said, you are unholy. But what happened was they became common. They became like what everybody else was doing. And then they couldn't win battles anymore. They, they, they start losing. And then you begin to see all throughout the, the stories how they would gain a little uh, victory and then they would lose. They would gain and they would lose because they would always revert back to being common, which would make them unholy. All right, let's uh, finish up with, with these passages of Scripture. Uh, passages of scripture. We've got uh, quite a few passages that we're just going to try to go through. So the first one is 1 Peter 1.13. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. One of the, the key to being uncommon or holy is you got to have some self-control. Put all your hope in the grace of salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So this makes us uncommon because we put all our hope in a future event. So we don't do certain things because we want heaven. And people are like, man, forget heaven. That's a fairy tale. That's fake. Well, that makes us uncommon when we put our hope in salvation and we believe in God and say, hey, we're, we're not doing certain things because we believe we're going to get rewarded. So that makes us uncommon or holy. All right. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. We're not going to conform to them. Yes, we are tempted by them, but conforming means we begin to be shaped after them. Yes, I did make the mistake. I did do it, but I'm not going to be shaped after it. I, yes, I am unmarried. And yes, I got into a pattern of having sex outside of marriage. Yes, I did it. And I'm still saved. But what I'm not going to do, I'm not going to conform to it and start making it like, 
well, it's okay. You, everybody knows we all human. Well, okay, I, I'm, I'm human, but I'm not going to act like it's okay because ultimately it doesn't produce for me what I want it to produce. So I'm not going to conform to it. Yes, I did it, but I'm not going to act like it was the best thing. Yes, I got caught up in it, and I'm not going to beat myself up because I got caught up in it because I'm human, but then I'm not going to try to make excuses, and I'm not going to try to hide. I'm going to find somebody I can confess and talk to, and I'm going to be like, yes, this is a pattern I've got into, but I don't want to stay here because I don't want to conform to it because if I conform to it, it becomes a part of me, and if it becomes a part of me, then I become common. I become like everybody else, and how can I help? Let's, let's say I'm, I'm a young uh, woman. How can I help other young women if I'm doing everything they're doing? How can I help other young men if I'm doing everything they're doing? Yes, I started shooting heroin up, and I'm still saved, but I can't stay in that pattern because people are dying in the streets from shooting up heroin. So I got to do whatever it takes to wean myself off of it, whether I got to go to the hospital, whether I need prayer, deliverance, whether I need rehab, because if I conform to it, how can I ever help somebody else? What I'm going to do, I'm going to become common. And so I don't want to be common. I want to be uncommon. So what that means, I have to confess where I've messed up. I've got to receive the free gift of righteousness. And then I've got to not allow myself to conform to it. Because when I did conform to it, all that meant was I was operating in ignorance. And so I see it as ignorance and I want to move forward from it. So verse 15, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Let me say it this way. For it is written, be uncommon because I am uncommon. So this helps us. It's in the Message Bible, one of my favorite passages in the Message Bible. It helps us understand how to achieve this. Let's look. It's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Actually, let me quote it in the King James. It, it says, uh, um, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that uh, good, acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh, actually, the first part of it or the first verse says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. But look at how the message Bible breaks it down and makes it so incredibly clear. Let's look at this. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Don't become so common that you fit into what the world does without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So that's what it means to be holy and uncommon. You just don't do what everybody else does. You don't allow yourself to be dragged down to the level. If I am liberal, I have to hate someone who is conservative because that's what the world tells me to do. That's what the news tells me to do. I may disagree with you. I may dislike how you voted, but I am too uncommon to allow hate to be in my heart. So while I may not want to fellowship with you and be best buds with you, I'm not going to allow the world to make me hate you because that's what the world does. So there's going to be times that I am going to find a way to do life with you. And so 
as a pastor, I have people in my congregation who voted different from me. I'm not kicking them out of my church. Well, forget you then. You, you like Donald Trump? Get out of my church and never come back. That's not godly. That may be what the flesh wants to do, but that's what the world tells us we have to do. We can't get along with people. We can't. No, I'm not doing what the world tells me to do because I'm too uncommon for that. I'm too holy for that. And I'm going to find out that if I do life with people, I'm, we may have more in common than what we think. And so I'm going to be uncommon and find out what we have in common. And then we might be able to grow together and we might actually be able to change the world together if I don't allow the world to dictate to me how I'm supposed to live. Get outside of that example, other examples, just it comes down to simple things. I'm not buying everything the world tells me I'm supposed to buy. Well, you got to buy these $800 shoes in order to be cool. No, I'm going to buy a $100 shoes that I found on a bargain. I'm going to wear them and I'm going to act cool and I'm going to be cool because I am cool because I am uncommon. I'm not doing what you tell me I have to do. I'm not going where you tell me I have to go. I'm going to be what God tells me to be. I'm charting my own course because I'm uncommon, which makes me holy. All right. So here's... uh. Actually, I, I wanted to go backwards. I skipped this one. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. So that's how we become holy. We take our normal life. We don't do it just by coming to church. We take our normal, everyday life. Like Brother Benny, me and Brother Benny, we go golfing so hey we do it but we're fellowshipping we're having a, a, a good time normally when you golf and you mess up you want to go cussing and throwing clubs or you get mad but instead of having that that mindset we're just going to enjoy ourselves we're just going to have a good time we're going to fellowship and that's godliness because i've got god in me he's got god in him we're doing something just normal and it's nothing extraordinary about golf but because we did it together and made it a part of our discipleship journey. I'm his pastor, he's a member, but we made it a, a point to do it. Then it becomes uncommon because we're doing it different. We're, we're finding a way to enjoy life. We're, we're able to do things the world does, but we do it differently than they do it. A lot of people, when they golf, you golf and get drunk. Well, we got drunk on life. We got drunk on the fun of life. We're not, we don't have to do everything everybody else does. It doesn't make them bad. We're not judging everybody else. We're just knowing that we can be different and we can be uncommon, which makes us holy. All right. So let's put this up. Last point. New Testament holiness begins with what's allowed in your heart. So here's the key. Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So we act like TSA at the airport. We don't allow a bunch of junk to come into our heart. We stop it. And then if we find something that's in our heart, we get it out. We try to get it out. We go back to the heart condition. We just have a repentant heart. We return. Oh, wow. I got something in my heart that's not supposed to be there. God, I'm coming to you because I know if I let it stay and fester and grow, 
then what's going to happen? It's going to make me common. It's going to make me like everybody else. And I'm going to lose my power. I'm going to lose what you're doing in my life. I've come too far to go backwards now. So God, hey, I got like an x-ray. I got to let you in here to deal what's in my heart and let you fix me up. All right, let's uh, finish up with these verses. So you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. Now, what, what the scripture does not say, you were cleansed from your sin when you stopped sinning. That's not what it says. It says when you obeyed the truth. What was the truth? The truth is God is the man. I'm nothing. So I'm going to obey that he's the only answer that I have. Obeying that actually cleanses you from your sins. So you're cleansed from your sins when you obey the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Once again, the scripture didn't say now that you've been cleansed, don't sin anymore. It says now that you've been cleansed, now that God has been so good to you, you with a generous heart, you start being good to other people. So when you see someone struggling, you don't laugh at them. Ha, ha, ha. You're still having sex, you big dummy. No, you're like, oh, hey, I understand that. I've been there. Actually, to be honest with you, it was only three, four months ago I was struggling with that. But I'm, I'm, getting, a little, I'm, I'm getting a little power over it. And hey, can I help you? Can I do life with you? Hey, next time you struggle, how about you call me? And maybe next time I struggle, how about I call you? You start doing life with people. What that makes you, that makes you uncommon which makes you holy. All right. Let's go to verse 23. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. So it's about eternal life. Verse 24, as the scripture says, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. Oh, so what you're doing right now, coming to Bible study, is actually an act of holiness because you're allowing that word that's never going to fail, you're allowing it to get into your heart. And the reason why you're allowing it to get into your heart because you believe it's going to actually help you. It's actually going to uh, do something. It's actually going to make you holy. All right, so that's going to lead us to this final verse, and then we're going to close from here. I'm going to skip a few verses and we're going to go to this final verse, which is verse 9, 1 Peter 2, 9. Here it is. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. So all those things are amazing. It's talking about you. But then it adds this. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Here's the final thing. The reason why he called you out of darkness into light is not just because you're so awesome and he loves you so much, which he does love you, and you're awesome because he's in you, but he called you out so that you can grab somebody else, so that you can help somebody else. You are going to do the work of the master. You're going to tell everybody about a savior who will make you holy by giving you a free gift of righteousness, helping to clean you up, putting you on a process and a journey that makes you better every single day. And then when you slip back, he just starts you over and keeps getting you better and better. And then you take that goodness and you share that with somebody else. And that, my friends, makes you have a holy heart. All right, let's bow our heads and let's pray. 
Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you, first of all, for your holiness, your righteousness, and we receive it as a gift. Because if it's left up to us, we just won't do everything right. We do a lot of things right, but we just got a few things here and there where we just can't seem to get right sometimes. But because of your gift of righteousness, we receive it. And then we use that to become uncommon or holy and sacred and set apart for you. And we promise we will reach out and we will help others with what you've helped us with. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, God, I just do ask that you would save those who need to be saved and that you would reclaim those who are backslidden and they need help. And once again, we ask that you would help us as a church family get through the loss of our dear brother. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So we want to let you know we thank you. Thanks for watching. Uh, we had last week off. It was good to have you back. We appreciate you and have a great and wonderful week. God bless you all.